This is James Chow. And this is Hannah Gatahun. And you're listening to Beach Weekly, a news podcast from the Daily 49er at Long Beach State. Beach Weekly! Long Beach State went back in time to 1999 as our campus became the backdrop for a potential CBS show called Under the Bridge. They were filming their pilots Monday, and Rachel was on the scene to talk to an executive producer. And what did you find out about the show, Under the Bridge? It's going to be a medical drama. The scenes that they were specifically filming on campus were like flashbacks to when all of the five main characters were in medical school. Apparently Long Beach State looks like a 1999 medical school. But yeah, there was a big giant film crew there. How did you come across this setup? I was in the newsroom and then one of the reporters, Josh, came up and was like, hey, did you see that giant camera on lower campus? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, they're filming something. I grabbed a camera, grabbed my notes and ran down there because that's news. (laughs) So you talk about some of the big names that are going to be on the show, potentially, if it gets picked up. Mm -hmm. The one that the executive producer told me right away was Jennifer Morrison. I said that name. Some people don't know who she is. If you've watched House or Once Upon a Time, she's in both of those shows. She's the main character in Once Upon a Time. I don't know who she plays in House. I've only seen like two episodes, but she's a big character in that as well. But she was on campus that day. She had braided hair and I didn't even know it was her. I wasn't wearing my glasses, so I can't oh. see anything. But I have a picture of the side of her face. The, so, the media people told me I wasn't allowed to post that. And oh, really? Well, they didn't say I wasn't allowed. They said we would prefer if you didn't. Okay. So that's technically <laughs> not telling me not to. <laughs> when you found out, did you kind of fangirl a little bit? I did. I watched Once Upon a Time for a long, long time until they introduced the Frozen people. But I loved her. I think she's a really great actress. So I'm really excited to see if CBS picks up this show for real and possibly watch it. It was kind of conflicting, right? Well, when the CBS mm-hmm. crew kind of came on campus, there was another group tabling, right? Yeah, ASI was having their votes this week, so they were trying to get people to vote down on the Friendship Walk. They That's where it all was. They were trying to get people to vote. The person I spoke to, her name was Helen Rodriguez. She was slightly perturbed by the whole situation. The film crew kept telling them to be quiet while they were rolling. They can't really yell out, like, hey, come vote, while they're like, you have to be quiet while we're rolling. She was like upset about that because they booked the venue first and it's a really important event to get students to come vote for the ASI elections because it's going to be like what's upcoming the next year. But I thought it was really funny because every time I was there and I heard the film crew go, we're rolling, everybody be quiet, we're rolling. ASI would be like, guys, they're rolling. And it was really funny. (laughs) Is that like a courtesy thing? It's not like a legal thing. Like you don't have to be You don't legally have to be quiet, but you're going to mess up their entire shot if you're like yelling something in the background. Wow. Were a lot of the people there, like the extras, were they students or were they like paid actors? I think some of them were unintentionally students because they were walking down the stairs over by... So some of them might have unintentionally been students, but they were stopping students down where they were filming. There were a bunch of people in like medical garb and all of that, like walking up and down the stairs that were extras. I will say I did go near that area earlier Mm -hmm. 
there were a bunch of people in scrubs. I was so confused mm-hmm. when I first walked by because I was like, what is going on? And then I walked down further and then I saw the camera and I was mm-hmm. like, oh. But I feel like if they had filmed the students, it would have looked so weird because people were gawking. Like there was a group of, like a school group that had come to like visit and it was just all these people in line. Eyes wide open, <laughs> mouth open. They're like, Whoa, maybe they were what's wearing their glasses on? and saw that it was Jennifer Morrison. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I walked up and I talked to a security guy. This was some T, the, the executive producer that I talked to. I was like, Well, what's the show's name? And she was like, Oh, we don't know the show's name yet. And I was like, Well, when is it going to like air? And she goes, Oh, we don't know yet. And then I went to the security guy and I was like, eh, Do you know what's going on here? And he was like, Yeah, it's for Under the Bridge. I wonder if this show's gonna get hits because, like, I imagine when people Google "Under the Bridge," you're gonna get that Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Oh yeah, oh, that's, <laughs> that's gonna funny. be tough. I love that song. Yeah, it's the first thing I searched up, like "Under the Bridge" in Long Beach, and it was there. They went to Community Hospital. Oh yeah, um, in your later in the day. Like as soon as I went down there, they were like, "Yeah, we're packing up." So for the pilot, did they explain to you if that was going to be a permanent part of the set? Like, would Long Beach become a permanent part of the set? Hmm. I didn't ask that. I don't know the the storyline of their first episode, but they did tell me that it was going to be part of flashback scenes and they were going to be filming for the next three days. And the school didn't really let us know about any of this. So I doubt that we would be let known about any future times that they decided to film here. That'd be kind of cool, though. Mm -hmm. The school ended up being like a permanent set. Jennifer Morrison would be here every week. I'm be best friends with Jennifer (laughs) Morrison by the end of the semester. I know. As a reporter, like get get that access, you know? Hello, everybody. Arts and Life editor, friends with a celebrity. Oof. I mean, first you got Mowgli from last week. yes. Almost Mowgli. Oh, almost Mowgli, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So coyotes be creeping on this campus. Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Hannah Gatahun was there to uh, witness a few of them. I did. Yeah. And she wrote a story about it. I did. Yeah. So can you uh, tell a little bit about this coyote tea? Coyote, perhaps? Coyote. I like that. So the inspiration for this story started when a couple of my friends who hang out around Hillside, one of them lives at Hillside, saw a coyote. And I was like, oh, I did not know that they existed on this campus. Apparently, They traverse this campus often, usually at night when we don't see them, but they are here and they're pretty common in the area. So I was like, they're probably significant. People are always talking about them. There was a bit of a controversy about them about 11 years ago. And so I was like, let me look into it. It took a while. I kept pushing it off because I was uninspired. I was like, maybe this is a dumb story. Like, maybe no one's going to care. And then... I saw a coyote for myself, and that reinvigorated my whole reporting process. I was like back on the coyote beat. So yeah, I wrote kind of about the significance of coyotes culturally through the lens of a a Tongva person or a, a Gabrielino person, the people who are native to the Los Angeles area and through like an ecological perspective. So what's kind of like the significance of coyotes for the natives? 
So for native people, coyotes show up in a lot of their creation stories. I was talking to Cindy Alvitre, who is a um, American Indian Studies and Anthropology professor slash lecturer on campus. She was telling me that a lot of the times native people will gather and they'll tell stories about coyote. And she did refer to coyote as he because he is a character and a deity that shows up in Tongva culture. He is there kind of to teach people lessons about life. She said the coyote was very representative of humans themselves, and the coyote was neither a symbol of good or bad. There's always, like, gray area. And kind of from, like, the ecological standpoint, I mean, you mentioned earlier that in 2008, coyotes were kind of a controversial issue. Mm -hmm. So, like, what brought them to this campus? There were a bunch of feral cats hanging around, I believe it was the SSPA building, and they were attracting the coyotes because coyotes eat animals that walk around at night, as feral cats do. So more feral cats meant more coyotes, meant more coyote sightings. And a lot of people wanted to save the cats, or they were afraid of the large amount of coyotes that were coming on campus. So there was this whole idea of trying to kick the coyotes out. I talked to Richard Goodwin, and he was, or Captain Richard Goodwin, and he was saying that that was the last time they got so many calls about coyotes. Now it's not as big of a deal, but back then it was. What's like the ecological standpoint? You mentioned Ted Stankiewicz, an associate professor of biological science, and he brought up there's like a fear of coyotes or something like that, like why, why people have fear of coyotes. Yeah, so coyotes are known in the area to eat pets. That's a big issue. They go on property very, 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 very rarely. They will attack people. It's very rare because most of the time coyotes are afraid of people and they won't approach people. In fact, if you try to approach a coyote, like I tried, (laughs) when I tried to get the coyote photo that ran with my article, the coyote skitter, is that a word? (laughs) Scatter, (laughs) scatter away. Skedaddled. (laughs) Yeah, skedaddled away from me. And it's because they're, they're pretty demure. They're small animals, but occasionally they will attack people and those are like the wild cases but there's that fear because they're wild that we should be afraid of them and Ted is kind of trying to explain that there really shouldn't be this fear and in fact coyotes are pretty useful in controlling populations of raccoons, rabbits, all these animals that would proliferate heavily in the area if there were no coyotes. So they kind of help with population control. I will say, though, that he mentioned that as the boundaries between coyotes and humans become more blurred, because there is no real boundaries, we live with them, they will get more comfortable with people. So the best ways to try to keep that separation is to always make sure that you kind of show some sort of dominance over coyotes, And you mentioned population control earlier. Squirrels are big on this campus. You know what? But coyotes don't touch the squirrels. Wow. So coyotes are a proponent for squirrels for mascot, huh? Yeah, they're all for it. They don't touch the squirrels because squirrels are a daytime animal. And I assume that 
because squirrels kind of hide up on the trees. They're not as accessible as the ground animals. But yeah, they don't exist in the same like time frame. So squirrels are usually sleeping at night when coyotes are out. I talked to a student too who is like, a, she's she graduated from American Studies. She's big on wildlife. She loves animals. And she has seen six or seven coyotes around the library area, mind you. Because most people think that they kind of stick around Pavungna just because it's like a very open, grassy area. But they go anywhere on campus. And so she said that she had seen her first coyote she had seen by the library. But yeah, it was cool talking to Ted. It was cool talking to Cindy. And they gave a lot of like interesting points. And now I feel as though I'm a coyote expert. I'm not, but I know a lot more about coyotes than I was planning on ever knowing about coyotes. <laughs> yeah. And that's the coyote. T, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to have a little like kettle, right? Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. Got it. A 27-year-old Harold Katz had come to Long Beach State in pursuit of a full-time teaching career, and he never ended up getting that. But years later, came back to Long Beach State as a 94-year-old student. So our reporter, Saad Kazi, did a profile on Harold Katz, uh, an exceptional guy, because he's 94 years old, and he's taking a class on campus. So, what is Harold Katz like? Oh man, he was just such a a blessing to interview. I mean, his uh, his professor said the same thing. Even Chris Burnett, he was blessed to have him in the class. And when I sat down with him, I mean, I felt the same way. I was just I was just glad I got to uh, take this story. It's so nice. He provided like everything I wanted to hear. But he he was also I mean, we did the interview like a conversation. It wasn't it wasn't a straightforward like, hey, give me this answer. Hey, uh, when were you born? What did you do? Uh, how's retired life? I mean, it was it was a conversation. He really he really opened my eyes, and and of course, if you read the article, he he could open your eyes too into uh, just a real meaning of life. So there was one quote that really stuck out to me, and it's about learning. I live to learn, and I learned to live. Um, and Kat said that. So is that something that you saw? when you were interviewing him, like, was education super important to him? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, just just the fact that he, he goes anyway. I mean, he's 94, and he attends his Tuesday, Thursday class regularly. I mean, he sits in the front, and he participates. He's You can tell he's really interested. But, you know, when you look at it on the surface, it's just, oh, it's a 94-year-old man. He's he might just be doing it out of, you know, out of free time. But really for him, as I got to learn, it really was a passion. Like you said, when he when we sat down and talked, you know, he told me about how he went to the University of Chicago and he really emphasized how going there and how uh, when he was in World War Two, when he was on one of the warships, he he saw in a life magazine that the University of Chicago was was offering degrees for only two years. And so that stuck out to him because he really had these ideas of you know, I'm going to go home, I'm going to go to Chicago, I'm going to get a degree. And then he got his master's degree. And he just had he had these ideas of, 
I'm going to educate the world. I'm going to educate the public about democracy and fascism and Nazism and how we can make the world safe for democracy. So he has been here for a while. In fact, he was born before the school was built. So did he remember what it looked like back then? Yeah, he did, actually. He told me a lot about that. Of course, he was about our age um, at the time of the school's opening. It, it was 1952. The buildings were barrack buildings. Classrooms were in converted apartment complexes. It was only the lower part of campus, and I think it was like a, an extension on Anaheim Road. Barely any students. For him, Long Beach State, it was just a one-year thing. Uh, he, he just had to take a class to get extra credentialed for California. I don't think he ever thought of teaching there or coming back, but he's lived in this area his whole life, so this, uh, this community has been part of him. Does he like the class he's taking? Because he's... He's in Chris Burnett's Poli-Sci 423, American Presidency. How is he in class? Before he even took that class, he actually emailed Chris Burnett. I'm really interested in taking your class because we live in interesting times. You have to keep in mind, Harold being, you know, the age he is, he's lived through so many different presidencies that the current presidency of Trump, I mean, it's got to be something like out of a movie because... Think no, no other president has come out and said the things Trump has said. Trump talks like he's just like any other celebrity. He doesn't talk like a professional professional president. Um, so for Harold, I mean, this is really an interesting time. And for Harold, he doesn't he doesn't uh, think of the president as, hey, I'm getting toward the end of my life. The presidencies don't matter. He he looks at it as like I remember all these presidencies. You know, I want to reflect on it. I want to participate in a class and share my stories and and learn even more is he active in class yes he he sits in the front and he he participates a lot he does have a hard of hearing problem but he does have a transcriber that lets him participate and he participates just like any other student um so you kind of end off your article too talking about this idea of motion and it's something that um, is important to cats because he's still again he's still kicking like yeah. he's 94 <laughs> he's you know traversing the campus like yeah. learning with these young students and so I wanted to ask about that sort of idea like when he brought it up to you is is cats still in motion right yeah he he brought that up like you said um motion is life he was basically trying to get across the point that no matter where you are in life just keep moving and if you try to keep moving, your life is going to keep moving. I mean, he, he was a younger brother, and his older brother, Arthur, is still alive, too. To him, he doesn't look at it from our eyes. You know, he, he's still going. Like, if he's able to participate in class and really like it, then why stop? And that's a podcast. Yay! Do 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 do